0: Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. This is episode number 134. My name is Aurob Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avino, a King, our Father, a King, Lord, we're so delighted that you have given us the opportunity to fellowship with one another once again, that we can reach out across the miles and... Um, talk to one another and pray with one another and just love on one another via the medium of the internet. And uh, just, Lord, it's an awesome opp- opportunity that many of us just aren't availing ourselves of more often. And why not during these pandemic times when many of us are locked up and, and uh, sheltering in place and things like that, trying to play it safe? um now is a perfect opportunity to, to you know, what what do the old uh, commercials say? Reach out and and connect with someone. Reach out and 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 touch someone. Reach out and 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 fellowship. And who should be doing it better than we, the body of Messiah, uh, connecting to one another across the miles? I'm here in South Korea, and and the people who are with me in a live class are in various parts of the world. Um, It's such an awesome privilege to be able to connect to people uh, around the world on a weekly basis uh, via the, um, like I said, the medium of the Internet, but more importantly, via the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you are uniting us and that you're strengthening us through your Spirit, that you're protecting us by your words, by your promises, uh, by your Spirit, by uh, keeping us safe, by providing for us during these difficult financial times, by by giving us a hope that is beyond hope, a vision that's beyond the immediate horizon. Um, So many people in different places don't know what to expect. They don't know what to make of this, this pandemic. This is kind of a once in a generation type thing. And uh, it's scary. It's scary for a lot of people, the disruption to our normal lives uh, and, and um, in, in every facet of our society and, and not just in America, but this is a worldwide thing. The whole world is shaking and trembling under, under this, um, this pandemic. And yet, Lord, you are still God. You have not vacated the throne. You've not um, relinquished your control. Um, This pandemic didn't take you by surprise. You're bigger than COVID. And so we're going to keep trusting in you as your people. We're going to keep looking to you and hoping in you and knowing that you are a father who demonstrates your love for us. And you set your affection on our forefathers and you've loved us and that you are raising us up, even in the midst of all of the darkness around us. You're giving us a voice. You're helping us to be a witness. You're helping our lights to shine. You're giving us divine opportunities to share our witness with those people around us. People who are saying, what do I do? What do I do? They're shaking their hands. They're wringing their hands. They, they, they don't know what to do. And yet we've got the answer. And therefore, Lord, give us holy boldness uh, to be able to reach out to people. Uh, continue to um, protect us as families. Um, um, Help us to see that um, uh, this is, uh, um, like I said, an opportunity to, to share our, our witness with other people. Um, help us not to succumb to the same type of fear that the rest of the world succumbs to. But we are your children, and we need to demonstrate it. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua, amen Thank you, everyone, for joining me week after week. This is the Live Internet Studies. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi, and I'm a Torah teacher. At a real-life congregation in Thornton, Colorado, known as Kehila Tinoval, which is the Harvest Congregation. For the, my YouTube crowd right now, you should be able to see on your screen. I've got the Harvest website pulled up. You can find us online at graftedin.com. We'd love to have you join us in person, though, unless you're just trying to play it safe and want to stay in. We're fine with that as well. If you can, if you look at my screen now, you see I've got we've got um sermons that are available uh, via um, YouTube. Um, Pastor Mark is in a series right now about the second Moses and the second Passover and the new covenant. He's in part two. So if you don't want to join us or can't join us live in Thornton, Colorado, then catch us online at our YouTube channel and watch the services that we're streaming and uploading there. I've got my own um, Torah teaching website as well at tatesatorah.com. You can find me online at dot uh, com. I'd love to have you um, click around through my own Torah teachings, as you can see on my screen right now. All of those are links to different commentaries. Most of them are written, uh, but these days I'm quite busy putting together um, YouTube videos and iTunes podcasts, MP3 files, and things like that. And so I'm just having a blast as long as my technology would up uh, holds up I'll just keep plugging along and, and putting these things out. Um, so go to my website and browse around and uh, uh, see what you like. Uh, join us for the live internet saves. I'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Or, better yet, become a, a, a subscriber to my weekly newsletter. And that way it'll keep you in the loop to know when I'm uploading and, and, and sending out teaching and stuff like that. I've also got my own YouTube channel. Um, you can find me online at youtube.com forward slash C for the word channel forward slash taitse. Torah Ministries, and that's my YouTube address, and if you go to my YouTube channel, it's funny, it says, should Christians celebrate, but I don't see the rest of the word, there we go, should Christians celebrate Passover? We've just come out of the um, Passover season proper, which would include the Passover seders and the the, the um, special services for uh, the beginning and the ending of the Passover week there, um, and the beginning of the counting of the Omer, and now we're counting our way from Passover to Pentecost, from, like I like to say, um, from being set free by the blood of Messiah to being filled with the words and the spirit of Messiah. And that connects Passover, or Pesach, to Pentecost, or Shavuot. And this connection is God-ordained. It's not something that Torah teacher Ariel made up. Hey, isn't that a clever connection between those two festivals? No, so what you want to do, I want to recommend that you keep... Counting the Omer, whether you count it every day or every other day or once a week, um, uh, whatever is fine by you. There's no Torah mandate that tells you either way or how to micromanage your your um, Omer count according to rabbinic Judaism or something like that, but you want to make sure that you're making in your mind and in your heart the connection between Passover and Pentecost because of the greatness um, um, the, of the greatness of the significance of the Messianic themes that are tied up in these great festivals on God's holy calendar. So go to my website and um, use the YouTube uh, tools, videos, to help you connect into these seasons. If you look at click on the videos tab, you'll see that um, uh, we've been busy. A lot of blue there. That's, blue is my holiday color, whenever I'm doing something holiday-related on the calendar, a uh, holy day, then uh, my uh, thumbnails turn blue. Otherwise, we're, the regular yellow is the, the normal um, schedule. So you can see the blue stuff is, that's the Passover stuff. So go and listen to all the Passover commentaries. They're quite short, average five minutes, and that'll keep you uh, kind of in the, in the go as far as um, the Passover seasons, things like that. I always um, like to have people join me during my live studies, but if you do get a chance to go to my YouTube video, and I forgot to mention, uh, there's four or five things I'd like you to do for me. Number one, subscribe. I mean, what are you waiting for? Come on. Number two, hit the bell for notifications. That way, if you've got a smartphone or an iPad or something like that, um, it'll get it'll notify you when I upload videos. Number three, um, uh, let's see, subscribe, hit the bell. Number three, um, hit the uh, like Button, little thumbs up guy uh, when you're watching my videos because I, I really hope you're gonna like my videos I'm not sure if you will I think you will but hey if you don't hit thumbs down but tell me why that's the fourth thing um, leave a little comment um. Uh, let me know what you liked or what you didn't like, and then fifth, share the content with other people, with your friends and family members, your coworkers. Um. Don't spam them, but let them know. Hey, I you know I have stumbled on this YouTube channel, and this guy's got some really cool content. So share the content content with other people. Okay. Do all those five things, and. I'm going to love you for life. All right. And no, I'll love you either way. All right. So these are the live internet studies. And um, I bring these studies to you live week after week from my computer to your computer, from South Korea to the rest of the world. And if you'd like to join us week after week, let me give you some, um, some of the brief details. This is episode number 134, as I mentioned earlier. Our meeting date is on, for this recording, is April 12th. 2021, that's the USA date, So if you're in the USA, that's the date that you should see on your um, clock right now. The meeting times are on Monday evenings from 7pm to approximately 8pm central time. So set your clock no matter where you are in the world against the American central standard time and should be able to meet with us week after week. Uh, it's an hour long show and we cover two segments broadly. Segment 1 is dedicated to the Romans 14 Unplugged Feasts and Fasts and Food, Oh My, we're in Part 51 tonight. And then Segment 2 is given over to Exploring the Shema, Discussions on the Issues of Trinity, Paper to Yahweh and Yeshua, we're in Part 68 tonight. And as always, we have a featured YouTube video, and tonight we'll be watching a short little video entitled Genesis 1-2. Spirit of God versus Holy Spirit, as we're getting prepared for Shavuot, or Pentecost, which most Christians know is associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and all that all over again. So I'm going to have a lot of Spirit-related talk and themes leading up to uh, that particular festival. Um, But what you may not know is that in traditional Judaism, Shavuot is the commemoration of the giving of Torah, what we call Matan Torah, the outpouring, or the, I'm sorry, the the, the gift of Torah on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And um, so the timing seems right there, and so we'll talk about both of those themes. In fact, I'll probably talk about um, both of those tonight. Briefly, if you'd like to join us for the Skype classes, um, primarily you need two things. One, you'll need to get access to Skype somehow. The app is free, and the sign-up is free, so... I mean, have at it. And and the the, the app works on all platforms, you know, uh, Mac, PC, Windows, Linux, things like that. Um, And it works on all the devices, smartphones, iPads, iPhones, Android phones, uh, laptops, everything. It works on everything. So um, just get Skype. And um, more importantly, get the Skype group link. And I always mention the easiest way to get the Skype group link if you're not already subscribed. If you are subscribed to my newsletter, then I, you'll know I send out the Skype link to the weekly subscribers, um, usually a day before the, um, the show starts. But if you don't have the Skype link, then the easiest way to get it is to go to my website at tatesator.com scroll to the bottom of any one of the web pages to that black section right down there where it says Weekly Parashah Archive. Scroll down to that that black section. Take notice of that little button on the upper right that looks like an envelope. That's my email. Click it, send me an email, say, Ariel, I'm interested in joining the Skype classes. Can you send me the Skype class link? I'd be more than happy to send you the link via email and then you can join us week after week. And the Skype link doesn't change. Once you get it once, then it's the same link over and over again. So I just reuse it. That's the easiest way to get it. And then lastly, while you're down there real quick, just take notice of the little yellow donate button. And I always always mention, um, I'm in a difficult situation myself right now, having been furloughed last year because of the pandemic. And uh, due to the nature of the jobs out here in South Korea, there's only so many jobs that my visa will allow me to hold. And those particular jobs are hard hit by the pandemic. So I've been unemployed for the last year. So I'm surviving by God's grace and by your generosity. And so I appreciate the gifts and um, uh, donations that people have been sending me. Here's how you do that. Click the yellow, little little yellow donate button there and you can send me um, funding using either a, a credit card or PayPal funds or your, your bank account linked to your credit card, that type of thing. Actually, it doesn't even have to be linked to a credit card. But um, the point is PayPal's is the, 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 the point of contact for that. But it is done securely, so you don't have to worry about anything. And I'm blessed to be on the receiving end of your uh, donations and blessings. Um, as I mentioned, God is the one who does the increase, so we're all just in this together. Uh, be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others. All right. Without further ado, let's jump right into the show. I've got um, a special guest with me tonight. At about 15 minutes into the show, I'm going to bring him on first. I've got a um, a longtime listener of mine to my podcasts uh, on the sh- in the show with me tonight. He is actually a missionary to Croatia. Many of us don't even know where Croatia is on the map, so we'll bring him on uh, on board and let him uh, share some uh, with us. And some of the other students are with me in the live class if you'd like to also join in on the, the little conversation. Let's, let's have a brief little discussion um, with our uh, uh, missionary friend. Let me bring just the standard desktop. There we go. Um, I'm going to ask him to unmute his microphone, and the other students, you can unmute your microphones as well. Uh, special guest from, uh, he's not in Croatia now, as I understand. I think he's back in the States visiting, uh, taking care of some business. But um, Aaron, if you're there and you can hear me right now and you're still in class, feel free to unmute your microphone. And give me a second. Let me turn on the microphone so you can, everybody can hear you. There we go. And let's have you uh, come on board and share with my live study class. Aaron, are you there? Yes, I am. Great. This reminds me of the old days. I, I'm many of you who know me. I'm an ex radio DJ, uh, FM radio. Um, back in the day, wow, 25, 30 years ago, when I was a, an FM DJ, and uh, interviewing people on the air was something we got to do from time to time. So this reminds me of those days. So, um, Aaron, it's it's great to have you with me and the rest of the gang here on the YouTube, my YouTube crowd, and my um, my uh uh. uh Uh, What is it? My iTunes uh, crowd. Uh, Just briefly, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us. um, You don't have to give all your details (laughs) because this is going to be recorded up on the and going up on the Internet. But just uh, whatever you want to share with us, tell us, you know, uh, about being a missionary to Korea or to Korea, to uh, Croatia. And uh, and then we can ask some some questions as well. So I'll let you go first.
1: All right. Yeah. My name is Aaron. Horvat. I did grow up in Wisconsin, but we've been serving now for 11 years in Osijek, Croatia. Uh, and I always felt funny having the name Horvat. It just sounds, almost sounded like a dirty word. But come to find out, there's a whole country of the world uh, named Hrvatska. That's the Croatian word for Croatia. So you can imagine there's a lot of Horvats in Hrvatska, in Croatia. <laughs> so anyway, that's where God opened the door for us to serve. So we have been there for 11 years now. Uh, oh, there's a map. I'm seeing you have pulled up. Yeah, so yeah. I'm bringing a
0: map so that people can see where is Croatia. I was asking you. You said you said something like, um, "Go to Italy and hang a left." <laughs> You're hang a right. Hang, hang a right. right. Okay. Yeah, All right. Go to
1: Italy. Uh, go to Italy. Hang a right. Croatia is kind of shaped like a boomerang. You do have the coastline that lines up with Italy across the Adriatic, and then it goes straight east. So actually, we're that straight east part, I was as far away from uh, far away from the the beauty of the coastline is you could possibly be. Anyway,
0: oh, so you're closer to the Serbia side? There's – I'm looking at Yes. The map.
1: We're quite close to Serbia, about a half an hour from Serbia. North of us would be half an hour to Hungary. Half an hour south would be Bosnia and, and Herzegovina.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: so anyway, yeah, we are there as uh, missionaries uh, and working in a youth center. Uh, and well, just a little bit about Croatia from uh, – from 91 to 95 was the Homeland War. That's when Yugoslavia broke up. And there's still consequences from that and coming out of communism. And even in the, the churches, you see remnants of communism. Yeah. So those that, that's part of the call. Uh, but interestingly, the church that we serve at in Osiak, the Evangelical uh, Pentecostal Church, it's called. Uh, it's a former synagogue building. And <laughs> Wow. So there is – I mean there's something very special uh, about looking at the front of the church, and you see the Torah scrolls with the Ten Commandments written in Hebrew, and below it is, wow. is the cross. And
0: there's below it is the rich. cross. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's very
1: rich. It solidified the call of cross. Anyway. Is
0: there – tell me, Aaron, is there? Is there a, um, a Jewish presence in Croatia? Are there any Jewish synagogues, or do you meet any – either traditional Jews or Messianic Jews or anything like that?
1: Uh, it's interesting. That, yeah, World War II, about that time, uh, I know that all of the synagogues were ordered destroyed in Zagreb, the capital city. Wow. And there were only t- two of them in Osiak, which is about a 100,000 a people, or it was at that time, one of them was destroyed, and for some reason, the building where we are today was not destroyed, but that was really an anomaly. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's wonderful that some of that heritage is left. So it used to be actually 10% Jewish population in the city of Osiek, Uh and so that would have been about 10,000 people. Uh, but the most recent uh, survey across the country's census said that there were only like 500 Jews in the entire country so that says something pretty powerful, perhaps
0: that reminds me of of South korea 's Jewish population as well um, i'm Jewish and I live out here in South Korea, and I ask those questions because this this podcast and this YouTube uh, channel is aimed at um, having discussions along the what we call the messianic Jewish dialogue, um, so I bring up yeah. topics that are relevant to Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, but also that touch the Jewish community, um, but out here in South Korea, there is not a large Jewish community. Um, there's a there is a main synagogue in Seoul, in the capital city, and I actually am in Seoul, the capital city. There's a main synagogue mm-hmm. here, and there's actually even actually a, a a large Messianic congregation in Seoul as well. But other than that, Judaism isn't known for being very uh, uh, widely spread throughout this particular country it's more of a of a christian slash buddhist slash uh non-religious country the, the, just kind of those are the three and so i was kind of curious about croatia what it was like it, is there a what we might call a kind of a state religion or country religion is it like is christianity or catholicism or something like that one of the
1: catholicism states? yes so you okay. could say Cyril Methodius christianized the balkans And so that's where the Cyrillic language came from. Just half an hour east of us in Serbia, they still use the Cyrillic alphabet. We have the same language as Serbia, basically, but we use the Latin alphabet uh, with a few added characters.
0: That was going to be my next Uh, question is, do you speak – what's the language known as? Is it Croatian? We call it Croatian now. But
1: before 1991, they would have called it uh, Serbo-Croatian, but now that's kind of an offensive term. Oh, Okay. Bloodshed, you're on the close to the line where we are, where we're living, yeah.
0: Right. So I mean do you speak Croatian or whatever? Yes,
1: we really have to. The church is uh actually I got in trouble a few weeks ago for trying to do a song in English, even though somebody had requested it specifically in English. Somebody else said no, we're gonna do it in
0: Croatian. So well, then we'll do it in Croatian. Fine with me. I've always um learned or I've always held the opinion that the best missionaries to foreign countries um are missionaries that are either A from that country originally or B are at least uh, versed in the language and, and a little bit familiar with the culture it 's a little awkward sometimes to send a missionary from country a to country b and the the missionary from country a can 't even speak the language of country b so in that regard i don 't consider myself i guess i wouldn 't qualify for being a missionary to south korea i 've lived here for uh, you know for long uh, about ten years off and on in different in different stretches this last stretch is seven years straight um, But I was born and raised in the United States, and so I don't speak Korean. I can read Korean, but – and I can – my ears can make out, given the context of the conversation, sometimes upwards of 50 percent or even more, 80 percent if it's Sometimes of the conversations that people are talking around me, I can pick up Korean words and parse some of the sentences and things like that, but I can't hold an, 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 a, a, a prolonged conversation in Korean. So I wouldn't, really wouldn't be a, a, a good uh, missionary to Korea on that, on that front. But I'm glad to hear that you speak the language. This, this at least tells me that um, it seems like you're in a place where Hashem, where God can use you to reach out to the creation people, uh, although I'm, I'm not sure what amount of English they speak. Is English spoken there as well?
1: Uh, it, yeah, before this Balkan conflict of, started in 91, uh most people would have learned German as a second language, but since uh, that conflict ended, now, now everyone learns uh, English, is more likely to learn English rather than German. Uh-huh. Uh, so it is a, a shift, but yeah, they're all – yeah if, if they find out you 're an american though they want to they want to talk to you
0: that 's similar uh, to korea, the korea south korea's south korea 's second language is fast becoming English as well, and the minute a South Korean learns that you can speak English or that you 're American or something, then they want to practice their English with you and start you know chatting with you and so um, and depending on where – what part of Korea you're in, sometimes there will be more people that can speak Korean versus if you go out to the country, then uh, there's less people that can converse with you in English. But I imagine it's maybe right. similar. Are your services held in, in both languages or is, –
1: No, is, strictly uh, Croatian. There's a fair
0: number of English
1: guests, but less because of the pandemic. Wow. Uh, but the Croatians are always in – the, yeah, the services are, are always in in Croatian. Wow. Uh, or else they would have to be translated if we had a guest.
0: All righty. Um. Uh, one last question, real quick, for you. And by the way, those other guests are with me. My other students are with me in the class. Um, uh, feel free, if you'd like to, you're 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 welcome to join in on the conversation. If you have a question for Aaron, um, one of the questions I'm sure people from the states are curious about knowing uh, what's what's name one of the um. Coolest things, or one of the nicest things, or one of the one of the blessings about uh, living in Croatia, and then flip that over and tell me what's one of the challenges, or one of the worst things about living. Something you wish you could change about living in Croatia. So we'll start with the good, the good part. For the, you know the the boon, the plus, the con. I'm sorry, the pro. What's the pro about living in Croatia?
1: Uh, the pro about living in Croatia. <laughs> I don't know. Burek is uh, is. It's a great food, and probably most Americans have never tried. It's kind of like a filo dough with s- stuffing of different kinds. It could be uh, meat or apple or cherry, uh, and they recently added Mexican burak. <laughs>
0: so okay. That was like break- wow.
1: That was a break. That was a breakthrough. Anyway.
0: So the cuisine uh, is pretty cool. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, let's just say uh, a, a plus is a, if you're coming as a foreigner, is that the the alphabet should be easy to understand because every letter has only one sound and they eliminate unnecessary duplicates.
0: That sounds so like Korean the same way. It's even though it's a different alphabet altogether. When your eyes look at it, you're lo- it looks like you're looking at like uh, not letters, but like pictures. But as soon as you've memorized those, always, then
1: bingo. It has, always has only one sound for each well, letter. Great. Uh, yeah. But downside, let's say uh, because it's so, so strongly entrenched with communism from before, you see traces of it even in church leadership, and that can be a rather awkward or alarming thing <laughs> at times. And uh, the kind of authoritarian leader uh, that you're not allowed to ask questions to can be challenging as an American to adapt to that kind of a mentality or to figure out if it could be really healthy or if this is something that perhaps should be thought through carefully or, uh, or addressed. Uh, where it's appropriate at the time.
0: Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, they're not hostile to the gospel, obviously.
1: No, I wouldn't say they're hostile, but e- even because it's such so strongly Catholic uh, that if, e- the, if even the evangelical churches tend to have kind of a Catholic feel to them because they're catering to the. It's like if you're not Catholic, you're a part of a sect and you're looked down on.
0: Ah, oh, uh, I see. It's
1: a strong Catholic majority generally
0: okay uh and it, it sounds to me like the 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 home church that supports you is not a Catholic Church, I take it it's a more of a no. evangelical Protestant or Presbyterian or something like that uh Pentecostal yes. Pentecostal okay all right so i i my um my I have some background in Pentecostalism um my uh, the, the home church of my parents is Pentecostal as well. Uh, I grew up, me and the kids, my parents sent us to a Baptist school when I was growing up. And then when I got old enough and uh, halfway through my life, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, but uh, in my 20s, I discovered Messianic Judaism. I discovered my Jewish roots, and then I discovered my Messianic Jewish roots. And so I switched from, from Pentecostal to Baptist to Messianic Judaism. But my question for you is... um. How do the Croatians do you, do you guys like talk about speaking in tongues and things like that? Since it's we're talking Pentecostal,
1: yes, uh, there are more charismatic groups, and uh, at times I have a feeling that the Baptists might be more charismatic than we are wow. occasionally. That probably sounds funny to say, but there it's it's uh, they kind of emphasize rather than. Uh, the initial evidence of speaking in tongues as a sign of the Holy Spirit, they're more inclined to say, well, that's not a to be used as a public gift. So we don't want to hear you use it. But that doesn't mean that people wouldn't use it privately. Uh, so it's yeah, I, I think it kind of goes along with that authoritarian thing of who's ever front and center. You don't want to interrupt them, whatever you do. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that that has an interesting interplay with uh, a Pentecostal name, but perhaps they emphasize the Evangelical part more strongly for the Evangelical Pentecostal Church if it has that name.
0: Alrighty. Well, um, real quick, anybody else in my uh, live studies class? Did you guys have any questions for Aaron? Did you want to ask him anything uh, on on the study? If not, um. We'll, well, you, can, you know, you, you can you can stay muted if you'd like to. I'm fine with that as well. But if you'd like to ask him any questions, this this is a great uh, platform. I'll just give the opportunity real quick. No one wants to. Okay, no problem. Um, last question, real quick. Um, Aaron, how can we pray for your community in Croatia? What are your? Do you have like a, a like a big prayer request need that we can? Uh, we won't pray right now on 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 live uh, YouTube, uh, but. Uh, In our quiet times, how can we pray for you?
1: Yeah, uh, perhaps just uh, unity within the church would be an important theme. And also, uh, there is about 20 minutes away from Osijek. I regularly get to serve with a a Roma, also known as Gypsy, uh, church community. Uh, And they do not yet have – actually, they they tend to, to use Croatian. Uh, but they also all speak something called Bayesh. And so this this Romani language does not have a Bible translation in it. So that's something that I'm starting to get a burden for. I ah. uh, think that between Croatia and Serbia, there are five Romani dialects that, that none of them have a, a full Bible yet. I think they may all have the Gospel of Luke, for example, but they don't have a, a Bible witness so that that's uh that could be a valuable need uh cause for prayer
0: wow I, and here i thought i mean there are i haven't counted how many languages the bible has been translated into i mean quite a few but i didn't know i'm i'm translating into croatian as well i'm sure right you guys have a croatian bible Yes. Okay. Good.
1: Yeah, several, several Croatian translations. Oh, okay. certainly not like English. Ang- not like English.
0: But not like English. Okay. There's more than one. <laughs> gotcha. Alrighty. Well, it's been a um a, a blessing to have you uh share with my like I said share with my YouTube uh, crowd and my uh, iTunes listeners who are going to be listening to this podcast later on. Um, I'll turn uh, and start get started with the show. We I won't keep the show long. I'll I'll shorten the show a little bit cut everything in, in half as far as the time is concerned um, so that I don't, I don't have to keep you uh, too long but thank you for sharing all those with us um, if you can meet with us next week again that would be great uh, if not um, well then we'll just uh, send you on your way with blessings uh, but just a pleasure to have you with us all right thank Well you then, very much yes yep. all right um, then go ahead and do me a favor and mute your microphone and let's see where do I want to go now I think we're ready to start into the study. Let's turn to Romans 14 unplugged. Feasts and fasts and food, oh my. This is a commentary that I put together. It's available on my website at tetzetorah.com, and um, last week we went back and did kind of an overview of the study, so you can kind of get an idea of where we're going, and um, uh, if you know uh, in the show what I'm doing is I'm going through, let me find it here, um, I'm going through this section where it talks about the introduction and background, historical audience. Uh, I really should have done this very earlier on in the show, but um, uh, it was it was in hindsight that I realized that uh, I need a lot more background to the topic that I'm talking about to give the impact that I'm aiming for, which uh, is largely tied to understanding the historical occasions. Uh, the, the historical, um, uh, what should I say, the, the, the social settings behind Paul's letter, you know, pinning Romans as a whole, but more importantly as they impact just the chapter that we're looking at, Romans 14. I call it Feast and Fast and Food, O oh My, because um, I'd like to read uh, a good probably, I don't know, maybe th- the first 13 verses real quick. Um we're going to read it again in our liturgy in the in the Greek, but I want to read the English part um, for us now. And the the reason this is relevant for us is because, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of what takes place in this particular chapter um, is Paul's discussion on how these two communities, largely the the Jews and the non-Jews, or what we call the Jews and the Gentiles. And I don't use that term Gentile in a pejorative way, in a negative way. I know some Messianics uh, view it that way, and some Jewish people view the term Gentile as kind of a slam, a kind of a, a, a negative term. But um, as far as I understand the, the, its usage, uh, it shouldn't be taken negatively, so don't interpret it that way. Jews and Gentiles are groups that Paul recognized that God was working with and through to bring about um, the plans of God in the earth, in that time and period where Paul was ministering. And so part of our job as Bible students is to read the text and to appreciate first and foremost what Paul's words meant to them and meant for them. How did his letter impact them? If we can um, appreciate that first, it'll then give us, a launching point to make what I call practical application, or um, uh, how do we interact with that? Um, How does that look uh, in our own communities, Jews and Gentiles, things like that? So let's read Romans 14, verses 1 through, I think I said I want to just go down to verse um, 13. Uh, just let me just read those, and then uh, what I'm going to look at tonight is uh, not my own study, but as I talked last week, I started introducing this idea that Paul wasn't even in Rome. In fact, I didn't introduce this last week. I did this before the Passover break, so we're talking like almost two or three weeks from now ago. Paul eventually made his way to Rome in the 60s but he wrote the book of romans prior i think most people know that but some don't so he writes a letter to a group of people that he's never even visited and then he eventually makes his way to rome because he's arrested and he's going to be put on trial for his faith and for other reasons and so we pick up that story in paul's life that chapter that 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 um uh episode of his life in the book of Acts. And we're going to turn to that right after we read some of Romans. So let's read some of the uh, verses out of Romans to kind of get us into the flavor of what this book, this part of the book is about. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1. I'm using the ESV version, as you can see on my screen right now. I've got the Greek pulled up on the right side of the screen, and we'll use that Greek for our liturgy. So when we get to the liturgy part of my study tonight... um, I'm just going to read down to the Greek. I won't read the English again. So this is kind of like the liturgy pulled into the study. Verse 1 says, As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So right away, Paul sets the tone for his discussion in this part of his letter. Paul is aware that there are two groups of people that are being brought together in salvation history. The existing Jewish communities that Paul was raised with are suddenly... um, thrust together with um, Gentiles whom God is pulling into salvation history. We already know from Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit's um, work at Pentecost is going to cause the gospel to go outwards from Jerusalem into the surrounding nations, the countries, and draw the people to God, to Yeshua, to Messiah, and in many ways, to Jerusalem as well as a location, so we're going to have some culture clash going on between existing Jewish people and, and religious groups and Gentile groups. who are being brought into this, this suddenly this expanded family of Abraham, right? Jews and Gentiles working together, and no more, nowhere else is this going to be more heated, you know, flashpoints than at say what we call table fellowship table fellowship, because it's a long-standing un- uh, tradition that Jewish, uh, religious Jewish people have held to a sh- uh, uh, kind of a strict diet, right? Uh, you can eat this, but you can't eat that. But what do you do when you bring a bunch of Gentiles into the mix who aren't raised with those particular um, food taboos or, uh, you know, um, restrictions? Um, it's going to cause, a, I like to say humorously, it's going to cause a food fight. But alongside of that, we also have different um holy days and, and festivals and uh special times that we meet on where there's going to be some clash, some some friction. Um and yet amidst all of that, Paul wants us as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah to exemplify what it means to be one new man, like he talks about in Ephesians chapter two. How do Jews and Gentiles come together when they've got so many cultural and religious and social and and sometimes um the culinary differences between the two groups. The one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Who is that weak in faith person? Paul continues, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So we have some differences of opinion in the diet. How do we work this thing out? Verse three, Paul says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Um, Again, these words were pertinent for Paul's readers. So much so that Paul um, went to great lengths to make sure that um, they were abiding by these guidelines and finding a way to work out their differences, right? The Holy Spirit obviously um, empowering him and uh, inspiring him to write what he wrote. Uh, but it was on Paul's mind as well, because these were, these were real people that Paul's dealing with. These weren't were imaginary people that, uh, even though he'd never met them, um, aside from a um, uh, 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 the two uh, that he mentions at the end of the letter, I, I know, um, uh, but um, and I, I'm just drawing a blank on their names off the, off the top of my head. The husband and wife team, you guys know who I'm talking about. Um, but other than that, these weren't just like some imaginary people, fictional people that he didn't think he would ever meet. He was actually planning on meeting them. Um, so his his heart goes out to them uh, because it's, it's, it's an issue that's going to make or break – uh, community dynamics, and if you can't get along with each other, how in the world are you supposed to minister to the rest of the world? You know, if you, if your own family is out of order, how in the world you, uh, can you minister to people outside of your family? Uh, it just doesn't work. Paul says in verse four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld if the Lord is able to make him stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse five, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced of his own mind. Um, uh, on, by today's standards, we're fond of talking about Sabbath versus Sunday. In Paul's day, Sabbath versus Sunday wouldn't have really been a debatable topic, at least that early on. Remember, Paul's writing his letter to the book of He's writing his letter to the Romans uh, around the mid to late 50s, somewhere between 50 and, say, 57 or something like that, 58, somewhere around there. Uh, So the Sabbath versus Sunday debates aren't going to crop up until a little bit later, so he's likely not talking about Sabbath versus Sunday. Instead, he's more likely talking about fast days versus non-fast days, which would have been, Open to any particular um, personal opinion when it came to which day you fasted on, because the Bible didn't mandate any particular weekly fast days. We know there were traditions held by certain religious groups in in Israel. Um, Pharisees had you know had their fast days twice a week, and et cetera, et cetera. But the the Christian groups that were coming into the into the family may not have had the same type of um, background when it comes to fast days. So again, there's going to be a little bit of friction. Um, some some discussion, some disagreement going on there. Uh, but Paul goes on to say in verse 6, "...the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord," meaning the one who, who doesn't fast, "...since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains," meaning the one who fasts, "...abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God." Verse seven: For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. <clears throat> Again, the 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 um the background behind what Paul's trying to uh, explain to these uh, listeners, the people he hasn't met yet, is that, um, you know, you've got your differences, but in the end, it's God who is the Lord of us. He's he's the one that we are answering to. He's the one that's upholding us. He's the one that we live for. So keep that uh that perspective in mind let that be your unifying um factor that uh, that keeps us together there's one lord you know what i like to call shema theology um you know the idea that the god who created all of us is the one god that we together serve as his family it doesn't matter that there's jew gentile male female slave free we're all one in messiah and the unification of the Spirit is going to bring us together. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. What does he say in verse 8? For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord. Uh both of the dead and of the living, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you, why do you despise your brother, again, aiming his uh, sights at both groups, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and this is true whether Jew or Gentile, whether you're in Messiah or outside of Messiah, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, verse 11, for as it is written, or For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And then verse 12, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And then a final verse, verse 13 in our review tonight. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And that's kind of a semi-conclusion to everything that Paul's discussing is this idea that Jew and Gentile need not judge one another. Now, this is really challenging given the long-standing traditions between the two groups. You know, Judaism is a proud people. They've got their religion. They've got their Torah. And it's difficult to understand how Gentiles can fit into that culture without just changing their religious affiliation to judaism altogether without what in, in paul's day conversion and becoming a, a just a, a proselyte jew that kind of takes care of the whole matter but as we've talked about in other other um teachings that's not the solution that paul was that that's not the solution that paul saw in the bible gentiles changing their ethnicity to jews so that um, all the cultural differences are just smoothed out—that's not the solution. In fact, that um, that that uh, insults the Abrahamic promises that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, if all of Abraham's seed simply simply becomes Jewish, then the Abrahamic promises uh, uh, are well—they're nullified, right? They're brought to none effect because Abraham's children must be. Must be composed of Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, not just Jews. Right? It has to be Gentiles as well, and so for Paul that was not a solution. It was a man-made solution, and at the surface level it seemed like it worked. But for Paul, no, that's not going to work. What's going to work in Paul's mind, and according to the Scriptures, according to Torah, and then the promises, is the Spirit of God working in and among us to to bring about this unification, the one that we're looking for. It's it's us working with the Spirit to put, a, put aside our differences and, and come together and love one another. We're going to talk about love tonight in the Shema study later on uh, because that's the, the, the theme of the verses that we're going to be looking at. We're going to see how this is all tied in together with how we're commanded to love God and love one another and how love of Messiah plays in with all of that. So for tonight, for, our, um, for this Roman study, I just want to again briefly remind you that when we jump over to the book of Acts chapter 28, we have Paul finally arriving at Rome. If you look at verse 16 here, I'm reading out of the CJB, uh, David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible. When we arrived at Rome, the officer allowed Shaul to stay by himself, though guarded by a soldier. So Paul finally makes his way to Rome. And as I read a few weeks back, I'm not going to read it tonight since I don't have a lot of time. What Paul ends up doing is, is he finally is able to uh get to Rome and meet with some of the Jewish leaders there and it's interesting that he explains to them how that he's been on uh, he's been accused of a certain crime and he's almost like appealing his case to them for some support as well and he ends up um gaining an audience with them and uh witnessing to them and speaking to them um look at verse twenty three So they arranged a day with him and came to his quarters in large numbers. Speaking of these unbelieving or what we call stumbling Israel or non-Christian Jews of Rome there, remember this is after the Claudius uh, Claudius Edict uh, had expired or uh, come to an end, and the Jews were able to come back to Rome. They'd been kicked out for that little five-year window. How many of them got kicked out? It's hard to say according to history since the accounts are so scarce. Um, Could have been all of them. Could have been just a few of them. Could have been just the troublemakers. Um, I'm of the opinion that it wasn't the whole lot of Jews that got kicked out. But there was enough people there for Paul to meet with, and it says they came to him in large numbers, and from morning until evening explained the matter to them, giving a thorough witness about the kingdom of God and making use of both the Torah of Moshe and the prophets to do what? To persuade them about Yeshua. This is why I think they were an an unbelieving, uh, a non-messianic group. And some were convinced by what he said, while others refused to believe. So why did I bring this into the discussion of Romans? What's its pertinence for us? Let me turn to Dr. Stern, Dr. David Stern, who wrote that commentary, or wrote that version. Let me turn to his his commentary. I've got a scanned version of his commentary on my computer here uh, that I'm going to share some uh, verses with you. Let me just take the last, say, three minutes or so of the segment and read, begin to read some of this. We'll pick this up again next week, but let me kind of whet your appetite. Uh, Dr. Stern's comments on this particular incident in the book of Acts and how it's relevant. For understanding and better appreciating the situation in Rome, the question is often asked: How big or how significant was the community in in the Jewish community in Romans um, to cause Paul to write a letter um, and explain to them, at least in chapters nine through eleven, uh, warning them away from warning them the Gentiles away from having this kind of proud and haughty attitude of, hey. We've replaced the Jewish people. We've overtaken them. We've overturned their promises. We're now the new people of God. Um, God has not really um, focused his his attention on the Jewish people anymore, so why should we? Paul wants the Gentiles that he's writing to to um, push back against that attitude. He wants them to avoid having that type of mindset. He wants to warn them against having that type of attitude. The Jewish community is necessary in the overall scope of god 's salvation plan indeed, um, God used Israel to reach out to the Gentiles, and now God is using the Gentiles to go turn right back around and reach out to those um unbelieving jews those those stumbling in, in Israel right this anomaly that I talk about in Romans of jewish people who've not yet received yeshua as their messiah an anomaly in paul's mind because the gospel is so um jewish-centric in so many ways messiah is so jewish-centric it's easy for a jew to believe in messiah at least it should be in paul's mind and yet many jewish people don't uh, believe in jesus so paul's heart goes out to his fellow uh unbelieving Jewish people. So here here in the book of Acts, the fact that Paul finally arrives at Rome, it's significant that he makes his way to the Jewish community very earlier on, after a few days. I mean, he meets with the brothers first, the Christians, and then he turns right over to the Jewish community and starts meeting with them. Look at what Dr. Stern has to say about this particular meeting. Uh, starting in verse 17 in his commentary, he talks about how the concluding passage of the book of Acts contains very important material for understanding the relationship between Judaism and Christianity, gospel and messianic and non-messianic judaism jewish and gentile christians the conclusion is that shaul had a very successful evangelistic ministry among the jewish community of rome and that entire synagogue became messianic it is one of the high points of messianic jewish history with that opening we have to stop and ponder the idea that and we're going to read through some of this uh, as we go uh, again, I don't, I don't know how much of it I'm going to get to tonight. Um, in fact, I probably won't even get into this. I'm just wetting your appetite. The idea that the Jewish community in Rome would have been the minority, would have been perhaps maybe labeled as the weak, maybe the disenfranchised, um, the uh, less than privileged because of their social status uh, after the um, uh, the expulsion from Rome, doesn't put them in a position where God loves them any less. And it doesn't put them in a position where God has written them off of the page of salvation history. In fact, the fact that they are disenfranchised, the fact that they are the minority in the church now in Rome, and the fact that they are in a position where um, they're trying to rebuild their communities after being kicked out and being allowed back into Rome is all the more reason for Paul to make his appeal to the Christian leaders, the Gentile leaders in Rome, to not forget about Your Jewish brothers, those people who are covenant brothers under the covenant of God, we talk about covenant brotherhood. They they may not be um, Christian brothers, but and you've got some Christian uh, Christians in your group who are Jews. You know Priscilla and Aquila. That's the names I was drawing a blank on earlier, but. Other than that, Paul is reaching out to the Gentile Christians in Rome to help remind them of their responsibility to uh, witness to the stumbling Jews' in their midst, and this means that there's still some open dialogue between the church home groups, the church groups, the small groups, and the synagogue groups. There should be open doors, and if there aren't open doors, why not? So that's where we'll leave off tonight with the Romans 14 study. We'll pick this up again next week, and we'll start right here with Dr. Stern's commentary, and we'll read down through the Acts 28 story and see how this bears relevance for appreciating Paul's heart to help the a uh, group that he's writing to in Romans 14, you know, the people who've got their differences and there's this judgment going on back and forth. If we can learn to appreciate where each other is at in God's scope, if we can, if we can see through His eyes, like uh, the Christian group for Him sang a song about, if we. Jews and Gentiles could see pass our own judgmental attitudes towards one another. Begin to see through God's eyes. Then we could understand how that each one of us needs each other to um to bring about God's plans and to complement one another in salvation history. So we'll stop right there with Romans 14, um, feast and fast and food on mine. We'll pick this up again next week. Let's turn now to uh exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity and there's only three short verses. Let me pull up uh, my list here. If you look at my list from Karm that you know we've been working our th- work our way through last week we looked at how big God speaks and it's not just God the Father speaking like we read about in Matthew 3 and Luke 9, but God the Son speaks in Luke. And in, um, in other passages, God also speaks in, in, in the book of Hebrews we looked at. But God, the Holy Spirit, speaks in the book of Acts quite frequently. And what's significant for us as we're working our way down through this chart, we're trying to put together a list or, and it's not exhaustive, obviously, this this list could go on and on and on. We're trying to put together um, a snapshot of the God that we serve using the primary source of the Bible. We're not starting with the church creeds. We're not starting with, um, with uh, uh, our own um, statements of belief uh, and you know things like that. We're starting right with the word of God. What does God say about himself? How does God reveal himself to mankind? And what we're finding more often than not is that God doesn't just come out and disclose his identity. He doesn't just tell us with simple words. He doesn't write it out in the pages. I am God and here's what I'm made up of, right? Here's the the sum of my components so you can understand it. He doesn't work that way. Instead, God works through human history and through creation and through um, the subjects that he created and through the, the universe that he created. And he demonstrates himself through what can be seen all around us, and what can be heard and experienced. He works through science. He works through music. He works through uh, art. He works through literature. He works through history. Um, He works through miracles. And so this is really the best way to understand who God is. And by um, not short-sighting ourselves by focusing only on one verse or one chapter or one book, but rather using the entire Word of God, we're then brought to a place where we can appreciate the complexity of this God that we serve. He's complex in his nature, so much so that he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at the same time as we read about him throughout the pages of his word. And so that's what we're doing with this list. We're finding um, attributes or actions or um, qualities or character traits about God, personality traits, things like that. And we're seeing how that the Bible unifies this view of God by overlapping certain character traits or uh, qualitative um, creative acts or things like that. And it uses them throughout the Bible, speaking sometimes of God in this book, and then some other times of Jesus in this book, and then of the Holy Spirit in a different book. And when we put them all back together, we end up with one God, three persons, or as Dr. White is fond of saying, one what, three who's. right? The one being known as God, three persons known as God. And so that's what we're doing in this list. So right now we're going to look tonight at the love of God. God loves. And we're going to be looking at three, these three particular ch- uh, verses. John three sixteen, one one of the most uh, oft-memorized verses in the Bible. John 3.16, God's love. Then we'll turn to Ephesians 5.25 and talk about the love of the Son. Right, Jesus loves himself. Jesus himself loves. And then we'll talk about Romans uh, and the love of the Spirit. And again, if God was not complex... We wouldn't need to have verses strewn out across the Bible that explain how that God can love in all of the persons that exist in these these three persons. It wouldn't make any sense to us. We would just all we would collapse everything into the one being known as God, and we wouldn't need to have verses that talk about Jesus loving or the Spirit loving uh, with this with this kind of this unity of the Trinity. But that's what we're doing. We're looking at these. So let's turn over. The first one um, is going to be John 3:16, and so I've got John 3:16 pulled up for us in the ESV. I'm not going to read any of the Greek over on the right side of the page. Let's just look at the English. It see it's it uh, reads quote for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So right away we see God's love. There's very little that I can do to probably build on this verse. There have been so many sermons. And uh, on this verse and, and, and teachings on this verse, and it's such a powerful verse, right? Who is it? Uh, Tim Tebow, who's got John 3, you know, 316 written on his, what is it, on his helmet or on his, on his sleeve or on his, on his cheek? The little paint that, that the football players wear—I think it's Tim Tebow, but um, I'm not a sports fan. But I think I've seen it in the news. One of these guys. So John three sixteen, you know, and, and if you ever watch a, a, a sports game, sometimes you'll see someone holding a placard in the crowd, uh, you know, John three sixteen or it just says three sixteen. So that's what's going on. God loves. Well, how can God love? Because God, as we talked about last week, is God. God's not this impersonal being who can't express love. God, like us, like humans, because we're created in His image, God expresses love. God can express love because He has those qualities, those attributes. He's not an impersonal force. He's not an object. He's not an animal. He's not something that can't express His love and communicate the love to His created subjects. He can and does express His love, and this verse tells us that He so loved the world that He created that He sent His Son to die at the hands of his creative subjects. His son was sent to die. And that is the fullest expression of God's love for us. Let's turn to the very next verse. Ephesians 5, verse 25, according to um, Carm's chart here, Ephesians 5.25. Oops, didn't mean to switch there. There we go. Um, let's talk about the love of the son. In a comparative fashion... Paul writing to the um, uh, the the believers there uh, at Ephesus, he says, "Husbands, you are to love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, the son's sacrifice is in full view here. God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die, and then Paul." Takes that and just uh, hones it some more, just zooms it in a little bit more, and lets us know that um, Christ loved the church, the ecclesia, and He gave Himself up for her. He died for the church. It is the body of Messiah that Messiah died for, right? So, what what's pertinent to our Shema study and to our um uh, our uh, uh, what do we call our Trinity study here is that. God the Son possesses the ability or the quality or the character trait of love, just like humans. He's So he can love. He's not a sociopath or a psychopath or, or someone who who can't uh, express feelings or empathy or sympathy or, you know, how those terms, you've heard those uh, terms thrown around before for people who maybe have a problem expressing those types of uh, 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 feelings or, or, or things like that. Uh, Messiah is not that way. He possesses the same um, character traits and qualities of God the Father because he is one with the Father. God loves, therefore it's natural to understand that Christ loves. He can express that love. This is just one passage. obviously the love of Messiah is found in multiple passages. Karm just is, is only bringing up just this one passage for us. And then quickly let's jump to the um, last one. In uh, Romans 15, uh, verse 30, Paul writing again says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers, to God on my behalf. Again, he's writing to that crowd in Rome that we we're studying in our Romans study. Um, this is the chapter right after Romans 14, and it actually goes together with it. He's appealing to Jews and Gentiles in Messiah um, and Jews and Gentiles in the larger um, covenant community to understand that it's this love of the Spirit that's going to bring us together. And and sometimes in Greek, and we'll, we'll deal with this maybe a different day, um, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Sometimes uh in in Greek there's some confusion between the objective and the the um the the is is it the love that we have in the spirit or is it the spirit's love for us, right? Is it the subjective or the objective that's going on, right? And we could look at the Greek, um the uh let's see the uh dietes uh Haga Dietes, agape tu panumatas, through, there we go. Dietes, agapes, through the love of the spirit. Is he talking about the love that we believers have in the spirit and for the spirit? Is that how we strive together? Or is Paul talking about the love that the Spirit has for us? You know what I mean by subjective and objective? <laughs> What's going on there? Um, There's a lot of discussions on, on how the, these pa- uh, 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 clauses work out. I don't want to get into all that right now. I don't want to get ultra-technical at this juncture in my study. I simply want to say that um, Paul is using a phrase, love of the Spirit, that at the very least must include the quality that the Spirit can and does have for those who are his own the spirit loves us god loves us the son loves us the spirit loves us this is what allows us to see god in all of his his complexity and yet uh, streamline down in a way that we can articulate it and that we can lay hold of it by faith even though we can't fully understand how god can be complex and exist in this state of trinity or triunity nevertheless, it's the love of God, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit that we can, as believers, um, uh, uh, lay hold of by faith. And so these are just three short passages. There's so much more that we are going to be doing with this particular chart as we work our way down through it, um, appreciating, uh, you know, next week we're going to look at how God searches the heart, the Son searches the heart, the Spirit searches the heart. We're going to see how these uh, unified terms and and qualities of god are displayed for us in the bible but before i uh switch out of the um trinity studies let me just um bring a few other passages do i have time to do this right now let me whet your appetite we'll deal with this next week if we continue along this theme of loving god and the and and the love of god and the love of messiah love the spirit and we look at it through the lens of our responsibility of loving god himself you know, I, I I told you that some passages when it talks about the love of God, right? That's kind of what might call an equivocation, or it's a little bit ambiguous. What do you mean by the love of God? Do you mean my love towards God, or do you mean God's love towards me? The phrase in the English, the love of God, and even in the Greek, sometimes it's a little ambiguous. Context determines if it's talking about God's love as it as it is um, demonstrated towards His subjects, or whether it's talking about the subjects love as it's demonstrated towards God. But next week we're going to look at a few passages that talk about our responsibility of loving God. How it's tied into God's love for us. We're going to use a passage out of Deuteronomy six where it talks about you know loving the Lord, Lord, the God with all your heart. And from there we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter ten and talk. Look there, how God wants us to love Him and how this is. Um, uh, uh, articulated in terms of having a circumcised heart, uh, down in verse 16 of chapter uh, 10, and things like that. We'll look at that next week. This is all within scope of God's love and circumcision of the heart. And in um, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, we also find that that uh, 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 Moshe talks about uh, uh, having a circumcised heart and how that God Himself is going to be the one who um, makes sure that the circumcised heart uh, comes to be, loving God with all this, with all our heart. Uh, God himself is going to circumcise our hearts and things like that. We'll look, about, look, look at that in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30 uh, next week as well. And then um, from there, we'll move into Romans, how Paul talks about Jews who are outwardly and inwardly and the circumcision, how that factors in. If you're loving God with all your heart, How does that factor into love of Messiah? We're going to transition from this love of God into love of Messiah and how that looks through the lens of circumcision of the heart. And then how Paul challenges the group at Colossae in Colossians chapter two, that this group, let me click on this verse, has also been circumcised of heart. What does that mean? Circumcised in heart, loving God, loving Messiah. How does that all fit together? We'll look at that next week. Let me close uh, this part of our commentary, exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity. We'll pick all this up again next week, and I hope that you can continue joining us for these particular studies in discussions on the issues of Trinity. We've got a few minutes left in our study, about 10 minutes left or so. Let's uh, look at some liturgy very quickly. We're um, working our way through the um, uh, counting the Omer. And so um, if you're counting the Omer according to the uh, rabbinic counting, the pharisaic counting, then you'll know that uh, at sundown we reached uh, this particular time frame. And so um, Let me just read this Hebrew blessing for us real quick. This is taken from Chabad.org. You can see there's some Hebrew over here on the left, some English right there, and some uh, Hebrew there as well, if you can follow along with all of that. Uh, But let me read this for you. I'll read the English first, and then I'll read the Hebrew. The English says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of the Omer. And if you want to read along with me uh, the uh, transliteration there, or if you can read the Hebrew on the right side of the screen, either one works. The Hebrew says, um, Which translation is the very same thing I just read there. And then if we drop down a little bit, right there. Today is 16 days, which is two weeks and two days of the Omer. So we've been counting the Omer for a little over... Two weeks. The Hebrew over on the right side of the page says, Hayom Shisha Asar Yom Shavuot Yamim La And that's basically just the very same thing I just read over there. And that's the first part of the liturgy. Second part that I'm going to start developing, and we'll read this as weeks to go as we uh, work our way down. I'm only going to read one verse tonight, and we'll keep reading as we're working our way through, counting our way um. Down through the Omer, I'll work our way down through this passage week after week until we culminate in uh, in this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36 about the giving of the Spirit and a, and a new heart, which is, of course, reminiscent of what took place in Acts chapter 2 for corporate Israel, at least in, in down payment form. So let's start in verse... Um, Let's start in verse 22. We've read this in lit- our liturgy in the past. We'll read one verse tonight for our liturgy. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 22 says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you are profaned among the nations to which you came these are future facing passages this is a passage that hasn't taken place yet in its fullness promises given to corporate israel national israel we can see these taking place on an individual level these the, the, what's taking place in these passages and we'll develop this as we go along but in in its fullest form it's still a future occurrence let's read the hebrew over on the right side of the page real quick uh, the Hebrew says, Lachain <laughs> Amor Levate Yisrael, ko a Adonai Adonai, Lo lamaandikam, Ani Ose Beit Israel, Ki im Lashem, Kad Asher Hilatim Bagoim Asher Batam Uh Sham. Batem Sham. And that'll be it for the liturgy for the Hebrew section. Let's turn quickly over to the book of Romans chapter 14 and start reading some of our liturgy uh, from this section of our book as well. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, we already read the uh, English, the ESV version. Let's read uh, some of the Greek. I'll just read... um, uh just 3 verses tonight and we'll read some more later on starting over on this side of the page the right side in the greek uh, romans 14 verse 1 says ton de astanunta te piste pras lambanes m- pr- pras lambanes dei me ex christes legismon verse 2 right there says hos men pisteu fagine panta ha de astanoun la kana esti and verse 3 Right there it says ha estion tan me estianta me exutanato ha de me estion tan estianta me crineto ha theos gar outan pra salabato and that'll do it for our liturgy for tonight. Let's turn to the little video on Genesis one and two uh Spirit of God versus Holy Spirit, I think it's like a short three-minute video. We'll watch the video, and then after the video, we'll simply dismiss in prayer, okay? You ready? Here we go. Welcome to a minute or two with the Word. I'm your host Torah teacher, Ariel, where every week or so we take a look at a relevant passage of scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. Genesis 1-2 reads, And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. The Hebrew says, Many Bible readers have wondered out loud at this verse. Is this the Holy Spirit? If so, why didn't Moshe write Holy Spirit? What is the difference between the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. I personally don't sense any great theological difference between the terms Spirit of God and Holy Spirit, but we'll take a look at some of the technicalities below. Many times a writer will resort to a simple stylistic difference of words in order to highlight a section of his letter or body of thought or such, or to simply avoid redundancy when using the same concept over and over. What is more, sometimes differences in words are meant to convey what we call poetic parallelism in which different words or phrases complement one another as they attempt to express the beauty of the exact same thing using various original words yet in poetic fashion like, for instance, Psalm 119. Ultimately, God is unfathomable in His existence. The Spirit of God is God's Spirit, viz. the Spirit of Holiness, viz. Holy Spirit. God is a spirit, yet his Holy Spirit is a separate member of the Trinity. Yet there is only one God. Ponder that for a while. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which can be translated variously as breath or wind or ghost. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which can also be translated variously as breath or wind or ghost. When Messianic Jews, such as myself, refer to the Holy Spirit, quite often we use the term Ruach HaKodesh, technically since the Hebrew word Kodesh is a noun, a verse like Psalm 51.11 where the phrase Ruach HaKodesh is found literally conveys a sense of the Spirit of holiness. But, Holy Spirit with holy functioning as an adjective works just fine as well. And that'll do it for the short little video. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for the study. I thank you for the opportunity to share with the students and to convey what's on my heart with them, to bless them, and to minister to them. I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the words that I've spoken and that which is pertinent and relevant and truth, let that lay hold on uh, in their spirit. Let that let that um, grab hold and uh, strengthen them. That which is superfluous, those words which were uh, simply my own and that which isn't really relevant, Lord, those can fall off. Thank you that you've given us your words, you've preserved them, that you've safeguarded them, that you've superintended them down through history, that they are a sure anchor that we can Um, rely on. They contain your words, your promises, um, and therefore we can uh, trust in them. Your words are trustworthy. They're true. We know that even despite um, various uh, attempts from the adversary and from evil men to to snuff out the gospel, to, to uh, wash it away in the sands of time and to, to erase it from history, that could never happen because your words are more powerful than that. You are the eternal God and your words are eternal. And therefore, the fact that we have Bibles in our hands, that we can turn to them and we can study them and we can saturate our minds and our hearts with those words is such a privilege, Lord, that we, we just take for granted too often how easy is it for us to just um, go even to the internet and, and find Bibles to read or to listen to or download or or watch YouTube videos with, with kind of dramatized uh, scriptures. Lord, the, the Bible is really everywhere. And yet, as my missionary friend to Croatia, Aaron, mentioned during our interview, there are places in the world who still yet need a Bible translation in that language. Lord, in uh, response to his prayer request. Send workers, send those who are equipped and able with the tools needed and necessary to put the Bible in a language that my friend Aaron mentioned is necessary, needed. There are people who need to have the gospel. Even if it's just a chapter or a book of the Bible, um, let there be something that can allow them to begin to interact with you. Let that be our prayer tonight, Lord. There's, we, didn't, we don't realize that until we hear from someone in a different country that there are so many places still that are in need of your words. Thank you that... Here in America and in other parts of the world, in Korea, where I'm at, the Bible is plentiful. And um, help us, Lord, to turn to it and to build our lives on it and to govern our thoughts according to it and to allow the Holy Spirit to wash over us so that we can understand it and practically apply it. We'll be careful, Lord, give you the praise and the glory. Bashim Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him,